0: as you hear sounds coming up in your head thoughts you simply listen to them as part of the general noise going on just as you would be listening to the sound of my voice or just as you would be listening to cars going by or to birds chattering outside the window.
1: so look at your own thoughts as just noises This is Billy Hansen, and welcome to another episode of Sauce Talk, a podcast about sports and the mind and trying to live well in general. My new book, my first book, is finally out. came out yesterday. It's called Harder Than I Thought, Easier Than I Feared, Sports, Anxiety, and the Power of Meditation. And the book is the perfect resource for a struggling athlete or the parent or coach of a struggling athlete. It's about my own athletic journey from youth sports through college athletics and the difficulties I faced along the way, and specifically mental difficulties, issues with confidence, anxiety, imposter syndrome in college, and just simply not living up to my own expectations as a player and kind of falling out of love with the sport. And it's about how practices like meditation and visualization and new attitudes and ideas about sports and life helped me recover and enjoy a great senior season. So if you are that athlete, or if you know an athlete or coach or parent who might be interested, you should head to billyhansen.net forward slash book, or visit the link in the show notes to pick up a copy. I'm really excited to finally put this out after almost four years of work on it. So I hope you enjoy it. Today's episode is an interview with coach John Beck. Coach Beck played four years of division one college basketball at Arkansas State. He was a really terrific player and shooter in high school. He once scored 60 points with 16 three-pointers in a single game and had a great career in college as well. He then became a coach after his playing career, and he's coached AAU, youth, middle, and high school boys and girls basketball. And while he was an excellent coach, his true passion was always in skill development and training. And so he, in 2016, he took an internship to work with Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, who's one of the most well-regarded trainers in the basketball space. And through that internship, he learned a lot from Drew, and he got the opportunity to work with players like Joel Embiid and Jason Tatum. And then he opened his own company, which is called John Beck Basketball, where he offers individual, small group, and team training, as well as skills academies and team clinics in the Northwest Arkansas area and around the country. And it was really great talking to John. I took the opportunity to pick his brain about shooting. So we talk about shooting mechanics and rhythm and confidence. And he had a lot of great insights on shooting the basketball. We talk about his philosophy on skill improvement generally, and how he emphasizes improving weaknesses versus doubling down on strengths and how to find the right balance between those two things. We talk about how he helps players who are dealing with difficult times on and off the court. And then it was cool to get his thoughts on meditation and visualization and the mental health of himself and his players and his own routines. And it was really just a great conversation. I learned a lot. So I appreciate John coming on the podcast and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Here is coach John Beck. with coach John Beck. Thank you coach for coming on the podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. So can you, I want to focus this conversation on your expertise in skill development, but let's start with getting a little bit about your background. Can you briefly take me through your own athletic experience from youth sports through college athletics?
0: Yes. I grew up in a small town in Southeast Missouri and played pretty much everything you can play, even swam competitively, played football, baseball, basketball. Um, and then I got to be, you know, up around ninth, tenth grade and started to kind of slowly get out of all the multiple sports and just focus solely on basketball. It's kind of what I gravitated towards and loved the most. It was the most fun, it was the most exciting. And so really started to work and put a lot of time in and was fortunate enough to earn a scholarship. Played at Arkansas State University for four years and then I uh, was offered a graduate assistant coaching position, uh, when my playing career was over and I had kind of a decision to make that I want to go overseas and play for a few years and, and chase that dream. Or did I want to, you know, kind of give it up and go into the coaching realm. And I always, you know, love coaching. My grandmother was a high school volleyball coach. And, and, um, so I just decided to go ahead and further my education and get into coaching.
1: Nice. Nice. And, um, I understand that you were a high school coach for quite a number of years before you got into training full-time. Is that correct?
0: Yes, I coached every, you know, I coached AAU when I was in college and I trained when I was in college, actually when I was a player and when I was a, a graduate assistant coach. And then I've coached middle school, um, boys, girls, high school, freshman, JV, everything you can think of, um, AAU. And then you know, obviously with the college experience, I just feel like I had a lot of, um, you know, experience with a lot of different, you know, um, situations and experiences with with so many different realms of coaching. And I feel like it made me a much better teacher at the game and a much better trainer. So now I've been training full time for about five years and um, it's been a blessing. You know, I, I think I'm a lot better because of all the experience that I gained from coaching.
1: Nice. Yeah, very cool. And can you take me through the story of when you first went to L.A.? to get into to train to get into training
0: yeah absolutely you talk about it, it's like right when i got there
1: yeah i heard your podcast on the hoop he- i heard your appearance on the hoop heads podcast and i love that story great. so if you wouldn't mind retelling that here that'd be great
0: yeah so it took me a couple days to drive there i actually drove there i just feel like that was the best option for me at that time instead of flying and and doing that i, I wanted to be you know i think there were four of us interns and you know two of us were going to get hired and so i just I didn't want to have to rely on anybody else. I wanted to take full advantage of every workout I could be a part of, and so ended up driving out there. Took me a couple of days.
1: And, and sorry, I got who? There. So what, what was the guy's name that you're meeting with again? I forgot. Are You talking about Drew? Yeah, Drew. What's his last yeah. name? Drew Hanlon. Drew Hanlon, who's a very you know well-regarded trainer in the space, right? One of the top. Yes. Yes. Okay. He, he's
0: he's um you know definitely climbed up the ladders in the training industry because he's got a lot of you know high level clients and not just you know there are guys that jump on board and work a few guys out here and there but he's a guy that's kind of been with you know bradley bill and jason tatum from a young age they're all being from st louis and Hmm. and so you know being a part of their player development from a young age is obviously you know and it's and it's stayed throughout his career and so that's really helped him, you know, in the, in the industry. And he runs Pure Sweat Basketball, which is his own company, which I worked for for four years, and uh, such a blessing. But when I reached out to Drew, I already had known him, and and actually was, you know, there was times I was kind of turned down from getting the internship because he had so many other guys interested, and timing just never kind of worked out as far as that goes. But then when he moved to LA, um, I kind of like, finally broke through and. And got mm-hmm. to go out there and do an internship. So once I arrived after my three-day, you know, trip out there about twenty-five, twenty-six-hour drive, I um, I got there around I think two p.m. and I texted him, and you know, we were kind of texting back and forth. I just said, I said, Drew, I'm in town, I'm here, you know, let me know. I'll, I'll be ready this evening, and, and he just wrote back two thirty, Beverly Hills High School. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> uh, okay, it's all it said, and so I said, okay, well, you no. Know, Uh, And in my mind, I'm like, "There's no way I'm going to make that." So, I get to this Airbnb that I have. I jump in the shower, and it's you know, it's two ten, ten after, and I'm having to be at you know there at two thirty, and I'm just kind of hyperventilating. I I drive and get there. I'm late, of course. I think I walk in there at like two thirty-five or two forty in Beverly Hills High School, but no one's there. So I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I'm I'm not even in the right place." And (laughs) so I finally. Text him. He doesn't text back for a while. I think around 2.50, you know, they walked in. And um, it was him and his videographer, Sam Lamone, and Jordan Clarkson, which was an L.A. Laker at that time. So it's kind of like, wow, you know. And, um, and when he finally he texts back, and he said, yeah, we're walking in. You know, we're walking in. And I'm like, okay, I'm in the right place. And so, you know, then I got to kind of learn about L.A. a little bit. Again, I'm a small town, you know, Missouri and, and Arkansas and Tennessee guy and and la is quite an experience living there is totally different you know everything depends on traffic and so you can say 230 all you want but the traffic can say no it's 255 and so (laughs) (laughs) i learned real quick that it wasn't really about what time it was just like hey around around that time is when we're going to start and so be there and be ready and so that's how that kind of went down and then it was just gosh straight i think i want to say there was four or five straight workouts up until like 7 or 8 p.m and then it was like hey we're going to take a dinner break and then we're going to meet. At Saint Bernard High School, which is right next to LAX and the airport, you know, I think we met back there at nine or ten p.m. and had three or four more workouts in a row, and so it was quite an experience. And from that point forward, we just never really stopped. I mean, it was from early morning hours, and we take lunch breaks and small dinner breaks, and then be right back at it. And most of the time, we'd go until midnight or even two a.m. in the morning. Sometimes,
1: was it a difficult decision to? give up your coaching and teaching job to pursue player development full time. How did you end up making that decision?
0: No, it was, it was actually a really easy decision. I always wanted to do that because that was the part that I enjoyed as a player so much. Mm. I really worked hard at it. I'm, I'm kind of known in my small town for just, you know, being almost obsessed with it. And And so from a young age, I was obsessed with the player development. I always tried to work to, to become better. I knew that I had to, you know, to compete at that high level and, and um so you know once it was coaching it was like that's the part that i gravitate towards i always wanted to help players get better you know it's like hey man this is great we're doing a team practice but trying to show players that you're not getting you know the amount of reps that you need in the individual or small group setting to actually improve as a player and you're not you know attacking your threats and improving your strengths and that stuff and so um you know, it was actually really easy. I wanted to do it even years before I actually did it. It was just one of those things where you you know, you have that that comfort zone and you have that uncertainty and you have that, you know, just comfortability with I like what I'm in, it's a good situation. But I also wanted to, you know, really started to study getting out of my comfort zone at that time and trying to find different ways to challenge myself. And so I I just took a chance and it was an unpaid internship. It wasn't like I was, you know, I had to drive out there. I had to find a place to live. I had to eat all my food. I mean, Drew didn't help me with any of that. And I knew that up front. Mm -hmm. And so it was, um, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, do I want to be a high school coach or a college coach, or do I want to really go into, you know, the, the personal relationships and the business side of training and helping players, you know, individually in small group settings. And once I got out there and, and, got to experience it. It was a no brainer. It was, it was, you know, I even loved it more than I thought I would. And so, um, uh, yeah, it's been a true blessing. I actually was one of the two interns that was hired for Pierce sweat and I've been doing it ever since. And now I've just kind of run my own training business under my own name of John Beck basketball. So
1: nice, nice. And so before I get into some specifics on player development, can you outline What you're currently up to, what kind of players you work with, and what your you know general schedule is, and how you set up your business currently. Yeah, so
0: I work with I work with all ages. I have professional players that come in, you know, during their off season and spend time with me here Mm -hmm. in Northwest Arkansas. I I travel to some professional players around the country and work with them. Um, I have a lot of the you know, University of Arkansas is right here in my backyard. So I get to you know, fortunate enough to work with a lot of those athletes. Mm. And um, and then I I work with pretty much every high school in the entire area from as far south of here as Fort Smith and as far north as, you know, up to the Missouri line. And so um and, and I, you know, I don't turn down, you know, any any player that wants to get better. I don't you know, I work with seven year olds and I work with, you know, professional players and so Um, running my business as far as my schedule goes it's very sporadic I do spend most of my time running academies which is large group settings you know I say 12 to 14 players at a time Mm. and I have players that they want that extra they're these are the you know more of the seasoned AAU type you know full year round players that are pretty pretty good Uh, maybe trying to earn a scholarship or just really want to be the best player they can be in high school and so that's where most of my time goes, but I do have a lot of regular clients as well, a lot of a lot of kids that I've had for years, and um, and the fun thing is I've been doing it here long enough now where a lot of my kids are in those universities or colleges, and they come back home, and we put in work, and so it's fun to to do you know film projects for them and keep up with them. But man, I'm, I'm I tell people I'm like a hairstylist when it comes to my schedule. I mean, it's it's so sporadic and so different. <laughs> Besides the set academies, you know, it's just like you know because players will reach out to you sometimes you know eight o'clock and I had a terrible game hey can we go get in the gym tonight and shoot it's like yeah so uh, I, I stay busy I do do it seven days a week I try to you know have a morning routine where I kind of take care of my mental health and my physical health but I do work seven days a week um, I take times off you know around the holidays and spending with my family but other than that I, I do it seven days a week so it's a full-time occupation for sure
1: wow yeah that's really cool I'm curious, so we start to get in some questions about um, player development specifically. One of the things that was fascinating in your conversation on the Hoopheads podcast was the level of detail and attention you take to preparing to work with a new athlete. Uh, could you describe what kinds of things you do when you have met a new player and you're setting up a relationship? How do you prepare a workout or a set of goals or what your plan of attack is going forward when you first meet a new client or a new player?
0: Well, I like to, you know, you definitely want to talk to them about what they want out of it. And then, you know, because you have an idea of what, you know, the game is like and what they need to work on. And I've been here long enough to know what system they're going to play under, what their coach is like. Um, how their stage of development is going to go. Like, hey, you're a freshman, but you think you're going to be on the JV. You're not. You're going to be on the freshman team. Hmm. I, just, I know those things before they even know them. Um, just because, you know, I, I go to every junior high game in the area. I go to every high school game in the area. I try to keep up with, you know, kind of the pulse of where kids are playing AAU and their AAU coaches and their junior high coaches and their high school. I have a, I have a lot of good relationships with the coaches in this area. And, uh, I mean, in my first year living here, that's what I did. I spent most of my time just going around every practice, uh, every training session, open gyms, and just trying to really learn and meet those coaches and, and serve them as best I could. And so, um, you know, just, it, it really helps to, to know the coaching and know the system because that's going to help the player ultimately. So once you kind of talk to the player about what they're wanting, then it's, you know, their high school coach, their parents, their AAU coach, and trying to figure out, you know, what's the best thing for them collectively. Um, and hopefully that matches up somewhat. Um, you know, sometimes you got a kid that wants to do this and it's like, hey, we haven't even mastered this and this is what you're gonna be doing in your high school role. And so then it goes back to, you know, we gotta we gotta be able especially in an off season, you know, if it's in season, you know, you may lock in on one thing, but if it's the off season you may go two or three things. But it's more about perfecting those things as opposed to trying to get good at, you know, a little bit of everything. And so, um, Sometimes they don't understand that that's not what you're going to be needing to do for your high school team. And sometimes kids have a different role in AAU than they do in, in high school. and That becomes that becomes tough and it becomes challenging. It makes your job a little more you – know, you have to spend some time at it. And, and um, you may have that AAU coach telling them, this is what you are and this is what you're going to be for me. And you may have the high school coach completely different. And so it becomes tough. I try to be the, the guy that kind of brings things together and tries to see the big picture. And so – Um, you know, that's where it goes is just knowing what they want, knowing what they need and then, you know, explaining to them that, hey, this is what you're going to have to do and, you know, AAU is going to be one thing and high school is going to be another but I I really feel like just in my experience that the high school coach is the most important piece because they just spend so much more time. They see them daily. They know them better and nothing against AAU coaches. I was an AAU coach myself but I just know the relationships and, just, this, just the simple time that it takes to, um, you know, be able to know what a player needs to develop. I think mm-hmm. the high school coach is the key or the junior high coach or the, or, or the freshman coach, JV coach, whatever it is. Sure. And so that helps me. That helps me with my development plan is, is knowing, you know, and that's where we mm-hmm. kind of start at. That's, that's my big starting spot.
1: Nice. And do you actually watch film on the players that you're working with either before or during your time with them?
0: Absolutely. That's, that's where I can learn the most. And, and again, that's where me going and watching live, you know, just seeing things that that can help them and that they may not even, you know, know, sometimes I even video them during the game and, they, and I show them. And, but, mm. but watching film is so, it's so great. And I, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have a synergy account, to have huddle, to have, you know, these different, these different accounts and high school coaches, you know, give me passwords, give me this, give me, you know, just to, to watch film. And so, um, you know, that really helps me too. Watching film is, you know, like, like the, the old saying goes, it just doesn't lie. And so, um, you know, kids like it when you go to a game and you say, hey, I, I saw this, this, and this, and they're like, oh, wow, man, he's really paying attention. Hmm. Uh, or or you have a film clip on your phone that you show them, but, hey, what about this, this, you know, and that's that really makes, again, helps the relationship. And most importantly, it shows them the things they need to try to improve on.
1: Nice. Yeah, that's great. I'm curious what your philosophy is on the balance between trying to imp- improve where you're weak at, your weaknesses, versus kind of doubling down on your strengths. That was always something that I, as a player, struggled with, didn't quite know where the balance should be. You know, I was a shooter and um, that was how I really brought value to the team, but I knew I needed to be good enough on defense to stay on the floor. Right. Um, Absolutely. and so I just, I'm curious when you're working with a player, how much of your time is spent really trying to emphasize the player's strengths because that's, what's going to make them stand out versus, you know, maybe learning new things or picking up where some of the slack is and their weaknesses.
0: Yeah. I feel like, I feel like there are no absolutes. I, I do feel like if you had to put like a number, you know, a percentage number, I think as when you're younger, you know, it's, it's more about having fun, and it may be a 50-50 type thing with weaknesses and strengths. I think as you get older, I think that number starts to go more towards your strengths and less towards your weaknesses. But what you just said is the threat, if you're going by the old SWOT analysis in business with the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, the threats are the things that keep you off the floor. They're the things that you're just not going to play. You're mm-hmm. not going to get you know, the opportunity that you want to showcase your strengths if you have these threats. And so threats are the number one thing we have to you know do in player development because that's the thing that's going to keep you off the floor. And so we that's that's one of the things I talk to high school coaches about is what's going to keep them from playing, what's going to keep them off the floor. And so once you can get the threats kind of cleaned up and then, you know, again if I had to kind of middle school, I would start to go 60-40 and high school I would maybe go you know, 75 and professional, I maybe go 85, 15. I mean, i start to really lock in on my strengths um, because most of the time, you know, you, you're going to fill a role. I know everybody wants to be an isolation player and, and just get buckets, but and you know, in the, in the team game of basketball, that's just, it just doesn't happen much. And once you can show kids again, that's where film comes in and you show them that, Hey, look, you're not, that's not you. That's not your game. And it's not, you know, this other girl or this other guy's game as much as you think it is either. And so Mm. sometimes showing, you know, them that and how little they have the ball and how little they get to isolate, um, those are just very few players. I know that's what the world sees on, you know, on the highlights and the clips. And that's always shoved in our face, but it's very little of what team basketball, you know, is is about. And so um, if I had to, you know, again, there's no absolutes, but Mm. it's more of especially as you get to be an older player in high school and beyond in college and professional it's more of hey let's get really good at our strengths let's have let's know that this is what i bring to the table coach clean up the threats first and then this is what i bring as opposed to you know working on weaknesses that hey everybody has weaknesses you know there's there's weaknesses to people's game and and we don't want to try to spend the limited time that we do have you know with our mental and physical you know health working on stuff that's just not really going to help our game. Now in the off season, there are some opportunities where a coach would say, man, this kid, like if I could just get this kid a little bit more, you know, better of a shooter because man, they're unbelievable athlete. They're our best defender. They get crazy amount of rebounds. But if I could just develop a little bit of a shot to 15 feet, you know, that's something that obviously we can start to develop and those are opportunities to expand their game. And so um, I hope that answers that question. I mean, you know, as, as far as, again, there are no absolutes, but as far as maybe a percentage number, that's what I would really focus on.
1: Oh, yeah, that's that's great. That's really interesting. And that's something that when my I got a brand new coach my senior year in college and I really turned my career around in his program. And that was one thing that really helped me was he, for the longest time, I didn't really understand that concept. And I was trying to be everything in terms of guard play, coming off screens, playmaking, shooting floaters, getting to the rim, shooting. I worked on all of it. And he basically, one of the first things he says was you're not, unless it's an an open layup, you're not permitted to go shoot two pointers. And so I made, I made, uh, 73 field goals as a senior and 70 of them were threes. And so he just completely said, you either, when you catch the ball, you either shoot pass or shot fake, and you have no other options. And that really helped me a lot. It was kind of it was a, kind of a hit to the ego when he first said it. Cause, like, oh, coach, I have spent so much time working on, you know, everything else, but it, he was totally right. He couldn't have been more right.
0: Yes. And that, that's how important. You no, know, that's yeah. how important coaches are when it comes to, you know, role, just really defining the role. Cause you and I have very similar, hey, that sounds like my career. You know, I think I hit 140 or 153s in my career at Arkansas State. And, you know, I graduated third on the all time list at that time. And I led the, led the conference in three-point percentage shooting, but I didn't really understand it was different back then. That I mean, I got to the point where my junior and senior year of college, I wouldn't even work on free throws because I was just like, hmm. I'm not going to shoot any.
1: Right. I am a
0: three-point. All I do, like you just said, I mean, I, it would be pretty much the same type numbers. I mean, if i got a breakaway layup, great. But if I drove to the paint, which I did, it was to kick out or it was to throw a lob. It wasn't to shoot a floater. It was and, and I just wasted I think so much time, especially in high school and you know, you're freshman and sophomore, you're in college working on floaters and finishes and things that when I when I got to the division one level, as a six foot kid, I'm just not gonna do. It's more about, you know, reading a screen, knowing how to move in space without the ball, being able to relocate after the pass and, and be able to get your feet set on the catch and Those things are just way more important. I wish, you know, I started to realize that in my junior year of college. I wish I could have, you know, had a coach that told me that earlier. Like you just said, it was your senior year. Because Mm -hmm. how much better could we have been? And so that's what I take pride in now is trying to get kids to see the big picture. Knowing what you are and being able to just lock in on that and and perfect that first. Yeah, I'm not saying we can't add to your game. But you got to get really great at this first. If you can get really great at this, then we can start to add. But you can't get great at this. Again, you're just going down the rabbit hole of, well, I'm just kind of good at some stuff and that's yeah. not what you want to be. You know, in this day and age, you want to be, you bring something to a team that you're known for. i yeah. yeah.
1: No, no, that's really great stuff. And I want to pick your brain on shooting specifically. Cause yeah, I, I know that you're, you're a shooter and that was my specialty too. And then I was also a GA for a couple of years, uh, after I graduated and because I shot it well in my senior year, it was natural that the coach gave me some shooting stations, just said, you know, you're with Billy today to go shoot. And I'd have some guards or some, whoever it was. And I found that teaching shooting was very difficult. Like I'd never even really knew what to say. It was like, because shooting such a rhythm thing and it was hard, like giving specific tips on form, especially in season didn't seem productive. But even in general, it, it, I just found the art of shooting and teaching how to shoot to be very challenging and so I'm, I'm curious like you said if a coach came to you and said you know that we've got this really athletic player um and he does so many things for us he or she does he or she does so many things for us but we want to develop a jump shot so at least they can have that uh, they can knock down an open shot or an open three how do you first address something like that and is there any insights that you have either from your playing days or from your training days on how to teach someone else to improve their shot? I don't know if that question makes sense, but let me know if you can pick up on any of that.
0: Yeah, so, you know, again, when it comes to shooting, the first thing you want to do, I think, I don't, I don't try to mess with players' shots, that, unless, again, that there are no absolutes. If they're younger, I, I, I do like to mess with shots, you know, during their season because they're young. Um, yeah. But as they get to be, you know, a varsity player and college player, like I've got a girl right now that's a college player, really good, and watching her shoot, which I've known all off working with her, that she's got to get her hand under the ball more, and we got to be able to lift it more, especially with the range from the high school to the college three point line. But um, I'm not going to say anything about that to her right now, and I'm going to wait till the off season to kind of start to try to help her, help her with that. But um, you know, it starts with younger players with their feet. I think it's the easiest way to, you know, kind of understand balance and and get them, you know, get them get a balance base and try to get their feet somewhat parallel and get their knees bent, get their hips dropped. And so, you know, that that's where I would start. Is just how how do we catch the ball? Are we, you know, catching the ball and do a one two or a hop? I think everything starts with your with your feet. I think that's the easiest thing to clean up as far as when it when it comes to shooting. You know what I mean? Mm. So. And again, looking at their shot, I'm, I'm I've just studied it so much, and and getting to learn from, you know, mentors like Mike Procopio and Drew Hamlin and Gannon Baker and guys that, you know, you I can just look at a shot and I can almost know immediately, like okay, there's a reason they're inconsistent. You know, there's a reason, it's, hmm. you know, they're not under the middle of the ball at the point of release or, or whatever it is. But um, do you want me just to kind of go through things I look for? I mean,
1: as yeah, far as I judgment? mean we can take this any direction you want, but one more thing just to lay on the table, this is something, cause I'm a total layman in this space that I don't quite know how, you know, the insights of, of how to teach shooting. But one thing that I noticed just being in basketball culture for a long time was there's a certain type of player who seems like, it seems like they've almost done too much work on their form. And they look, their form looks like it's came out of a textbook but there's just something off about their rhythm and they're generally not great shooters. Whereas there's a lot of naturals, like, I don't know, I guess the best examples like Kevin Durant, whose shot doesn't look perfect in terms of form, but it's so smooth and, and rhythmic or like Reggie Miller, for instance. Um, so I, yeah, where, however you want to go, like it would be interesting. Yeah. For, for things to look for or tweaks to make without turning a player into a robot who's thinking too much about shooting. Um, I understand this is, this is kind of a broad interview question, but
0: no, no, it's, I I love it.
1: Yeah. If there's anything to pick up on. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Basketball skill, up, but, you know, Drew always kind of says it's more important, you know, to, to perfect your shot than it is to have the perfect shot. And, Mm. you know, what I call an Indiana white boy, this perfect form, you know, where, (laughs) like you said, it looks robotic and you don't want to have, you know, Indiana white boys. And a lot of the guys that I've, that I've known that have worked in the NBA, You know they get fired. They're shooting coaches that have been fired from several jobs, and it's because they try to teach this certain way. You know, to shoot. Now, if you have a young player, obviously you can you can go to those mechanics. Maybe you starting off with a player that's really young, and but again, I think the best of the best know that hey, this is their shot, and here's some things we can kind of tweak just slightly to make them be more consistent. And so again, you know, it's it's more important to perfect you know their shot than it is to have this perfect shot and. I think that's where a lot of shooting coaches struggle. Is they want to teach kids this certain way. It has to be this way. I'm fortunate enough, I have shooting academies at young ages where we can teach some of the basics. But again, every shot is different. And like you just said, you wouldn't teach a kid how to shoot like Reggie Miller, but by God, he can shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't teach a kid to shoot like Steph. Really, if you really break down Steph's form, you would never teach a kid to shoot like that. But he's the best shooter of all time ever, if it's ever played. And so, you know, again, obviously Larry Burr was a 37, you know, 0.5, 38%. Three point shooter, but you wouldn't teach a guy to throw the ball behind his head, you know. And so, you know, we can go on down the line, but um, that's what I look for is what are some things that I know. Now, there are some absolutes. Like we know that there's not been shooters that have a real high pocket over their head because they don't have the power. You know, you got to be able to have some absolutes. You got to be on balance. You got to be able to, you know, push the middle of the ball straight along the target line. You have to be able to lift the ball, you know, with arc and having a lower, you know, pocket. Um, because if you don't do those things, you're not going to have the power from range. And, you know, there are guys like Kevin, you know, Garnett, who were great shooters and did, you know, opposite of the things I just said. But again, he wasn't shooting, you know, 25 footers. He was on the mid range, you know, in the NBA. And so, you know, again, as far as, as far as the range goes, you know, there, there are some absolutes and you want to be able to kind of, you know, get to those, but, you know, as far as the the shooting hand goes you know is the basketball seamed I mean that's that's one of the things that's going to help players um, you know is the is their pointer finger or their middle finger depending on the you know size of their hand is it under the middle of the ball especially at the point of release you know or is their wrist locked so it can snap with speed I think you know drew when we were part of pure sweat we did a lot of studies on shooting and number one was balance you know the if you're on balance and you can land on balance the numbers are through the roof. You start to get into twists and turns. The numbers go down. You get into one-foot landings, they go down even more. And so, you know, we know that. And so we're trying to get on balance as much as we can throughout our shot. doesn't mean we're going to be on balance every shot, but, but those things are, you know, very important. And then the second thing was, was actually wrist speed, whether you, you know, make or miss a shot. And so, um, you know, when you know those things, it's, you know, is our wrist loaded? Is it ready to snap with speed? Um, mm now, is there is there space between the you know, ball and the palm? I mean, doesn't mean we can't shoot it off our a palm, but if we were living in a perfect world, we like to do those things so we can, you know, snap the ball with speed along the along the target line. As far as your off hand goes, which terminology guide hand, balance hand, whatever you want to call it, you know, is it on the side of the ball, is it on the front of the ball, is it on the top, is it on again, there are great shooters that have it in different places, but if we're in a perfect world, it would be on the side of the ball. It would be off the ball before the release, it would, you know, stay vertical after re- the release. You would avoid using your thumb, um, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and, then, and then you talked about, you know, the rhythm of the shot. So you get into the, you know, where you catch the ball, kind of what I call the, the pickup pocket or the, you know, and then you bring it to a lift pocket and then it's, you know, is your elbow parallel to the floor? Or is it is it a smooth path? To your lift pocket from wherever you you know pick the ball up or catch the ball, uh, is the pocket above your head or is it you know somewhere around your shooting eye? Um, you know mm-hmm. is the pocket below your eye or is it above? We got a lot of girls that shoot now they're, they they they're out their entire shot they're looking over the top of the ball, which again we know that that's not going to be a good thing because you're not going to get your hand under the ball to be able to lift it, especially with the range. And so, um. You know, I could go on and on just throughout the shot. If you know, with the rhythm, you know, when you jump, are your are your he- you know heels leaving the ground at the same time, Are your hips even throughout your shot? Um, you know, are you straight up and down? Are your shoulders forward when you jump, or are your or sh- your shoulders back? Are you leaning back? Because again, we know that you're going to probably end up missing short, especially with the range. And so, body posture and rhythm. Um, you know, when you bring the ball to your lift pocket, are you? Is your wrist? And again, this is different because Steph's on the side of the ball until right before he releases the ball. His wrist gets under the ball. Same thing with Klay. A lot of great shooters in the league. You know, you think, oh, it's got to be Indiana White boy. You got to be under the ball. Well, they're not. But if you slow, if you if you go in slow motion, you look at their shot and break it down. It is before the point of release, and that's the reason they can snap it with speed and snap it straight and they're along the target line of the ball, which is you know the middle of the ball wherever that's at whether it's on the seams or off. And then, you know, is your, is your elbow above your eyebrow? You know, are you, are you, are you pushing the ball at an angle or are you lifting it? Because if you don't lift it, you know, we know that the drop angle is the most important thing when it comes to making shots from distance. And so if you lift the ball, obviously you're going to have less room for error. You know, you're going to, you're going to be able to make a lot more shots. And so, um,
1: you know, so you real quick, sorry to interrupt you, but drop 35? angle, I'm curious about shooting from distance. So, what do you mean by drop angle?
0: Yeah, so you know, two basketballs can go into the rim at the same time. You know, you took two basketballs together and they can drop, but it has to be at a from a top to down angle. If you come at a forty-five degree angle, the room for error is a, is a lot more. You know, you hmm. could actually miss two to four inches left, right, north, south, east, west, and actually still make the shot as long as it comes in at the right angle. And so. You know, again, it almost opens up a rim if you if you're thinking about, you know, like you're a parachuter. If you're coming in at an angle, it's going to be a lot tougher to hit that target as opposed to coming straight down into that that target. And so, again, when we know that, when we can get the ball high, which you know, if you think about the apex, the highest point of the ball at the release, if it's if you're at the 15 foot mark and you're shooting a free throw, it's about top of the backboard. You know, and obviously, as Mm. you to go back from that distance, it would need to be over the top of the backboard. And so again, because the drop angle is is so important, I think I think uh the NOAA did a study a few years ago about the perfect angle. And I think Chris Mullen was the all time highest tested guy as far as shooting goes. I don't know if that's numbers changed in the last few years, but I remember, you know, reading that article. He was just a consistent, you know, drop angle and and um, almost a perfect drop angle every time. Obviously he's a really good shooter, especially when he's just, you know, sitting out there wide open with nobody guarding him. But um but then, you know, you talk about the landing of the shot after you after you jump. you got to have, you know, balance. Are you landing, you know, at the same angle? Are you a little bit forward? Are you backwards? Are you, you know, way too forward? And, you know, that the ball, you know, needs to go up first as far as when the rhythm goes. Is it that smooth flow? Is the legs and the arms connected? Is the ball actually going up first and then your body? Or is your body going up first and then the ball? All those things are just something I can look at and just tell almost immediately. Like, okay, there's there's some inconsistencies, and you can clean that up. I, again, I tried to do it during the season, uh, especially with older players. But man, with younger players, I just got done actually doing a, a six week shooting academy this fall, and we almost worked on everything I just talked about. Um, even you know, even like I have kids that have an unstable head; they'll snap their head back, or they'll tilt their head to the side when they're shooting because, you know, they're shooting their hand maybe coming too close to, them, to their nose, uh, you know, working on. And then, of course, that's off, you know, just being able to catch in a perfect world. Then you have to work on things off the dribble where, you know, are you having clean pickups. Pickups are the most important thing when it comes to, you know, getting your shot off the dribble quickly, smoothly, cleanly, you know, get, be able to pound the ball, pick it up and get it, you know, to your lift pocket so you know again i know that's a very detailed answer for for a shooting question but
1: (laughs) i love that i could talk
0: about it all day (laughs) you know just it's just what what i do and and what i love and so um you know and again that's just scratching the surface of, of the detail but at the same time that's what you know like drew said is you have to be able to study it enough where you may not be working with lebron james but you have to study it enough where, if you all of a sudden he calls you, you could ha- you could add some value. And so, mm. you know, I've always I've always kind of thought about that as like I may not have you know all these ten NBA clients, you know, where I'm at in Northwest Arkansas. That's not the that's not the uh, destination travel spot for for these NBA pro athletes.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, you know, they're in LA and they're in New York and they're whatever you know pro athletes go on vacation. But it's not Northwest Arkansas. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that I couldn't have 10 NBA athletes because I feel like I'm able to help them. I feel like I'm able to build a relationship with them. I feel like I'm able to be trusted. I feel like I'm able to watch film and work hard and actually add to their game. And so, you know, again, like there are high school coaches that are better than NBA coaches. They're trainers that are really good at teaching the game. They study it, but they may not have NBA clients there may be guys that have NBA clients that aren't very good for Mm. whatever reason. And so sometimes we get lost in the, oh man, this guy works with this. He's really good. And she's, you know, this guy's only a junior high coach, so he can't be very good. And man, it couldn't be further
1: from the truth. That's really interesting. Uh, I, uh, first of all, I loved all the shooting details. That was fun to listen to. Second, is there some common, whatever you want to call it, you know, glitch or problem that you notice in a lot of shooter shots, whether it was something like lift pocket or guide hand or something. So if if there's something that comes to mind or a common issue that you see, and then is there a specific drill or set of drills that you go to, to try to address that problem?
0: Yeah. So number by far, the most important is getting under the ball. A lot of kids think they're under it, but then when you video and show them, they're on the back of the ball, which they end up ultimately pushing the ball and the drop angle is not there. So if they can get their hands spread wide, if they can get the right hand position, again, because the science of, you know, they've got that that robot in China that they've made, you've probably seen online where they're shooting from, you know, again, the hands under the, under the ball and, It's pushing the ball straight, and it's pushing it at a perfect drop angle. And so, you know, again, that's the biggest thing that I see is kids are on the back of the ball. They're not keeping the ball tight to their body. They're not getting under the ball. Their pocket, you know, is probably too high. uh, Or in girls, it's probably too low. And so, again, you know, getting that pocket where the elbow can be somewhat parallel or maybe a little bit below that to the floor. And having that good pocket, it, a lot of the NBA work when it comes to shooting and correcting is is more of just lowering the pocket. A lot of guys have a lot of success at the NBA level of just getting the player to understand that they got to get their hand under the ball and their pocket's got to be a little bit lower. Hmm. The, the shot percentages go up when you can get those things, and it's, it's all the way down to the younger levels, um, you know, being able to get their hand under the middle of the ball, being able to have their hand spread wide. And you'll have kids that shoot, and they're on the side of the ball. They're on the left side. The, they're on the back of the ball. They're on the right side. And, again, you're ultimately going to push the ball that way. If you're on the right side of the ball, you're going to end up pushing it to the left. If you're on the left side of the ball, you're going to push it to the right, and so on and so forth. From the back of the ball, you're going to push it forward, which, again, you see that kind of line drive shot. And there are kids – I I was a little bit of a line drive shooter, especially early in my career. I hit 16 threes. It's still the Missouri State record in a game in high school. I had 60 Jesus. points. 60 and 60 yeah and jesus but but again i was a little bit of a line drive shooter i didn't get my hand under the ball and so what you just talked about earlier is i perfected you know my shot with with the number of reps but as i started to get in college you know my first college workout i had dennis nutt and if you don't know dennis nutt he was um, a coach at many different levels he's actually a nba scout for the charlotte bobcats but he was at Arkansas State. He played in the NBA, played for the Dallas Mavericks. He was an All-American guard for the two years at TCU, and he's one of the best shooters to this day in the world. I mean, he can go out right now and make 90 out of 100 NBA threes, you know, just throw him a ball, and he can go out there and do it. And he's the he's the head coach at Wachita Baptist, his Division two university here in Arkansas. He was my college coach, and, you know, he was one of the reasons I went, because he was a shooter. He played in the NBA, uh, you know. Not real tall, six foot, like me, and um, it's one of the one of the reasons I went. And the very first time I worked with him, he was like, "Okay, you got, you know, your offhand thumbs in the ball. You're not getting under the ball as much as you should." And it was just like this eye opening. I'm thinking, "Man, I hit 293s in high school. Hmm. I'm the, like, I hit 16 threes in the game, and this guy's telling me I can't shoot." And it, and it wasn't that. It was just now you're at a different level of teaching. You're at a different level of accountability. And he helped me, you know, get a lot better. He helped me, you know, quicken my rhythm dip. He helped me get under the ball more. He helped me get my offhand thumb, you know, out of the ball, which was causing some side spin, causing a little bit of inconsistency. And so, you know, again, I look back at that time and I think, man, that's what I get to do and help players now. And I remember how important it was to me that he did that for me then. Um, and, you know, it's 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 very eye-opening because you're like, I've never been told I can't shoot. <laughs> You know what I mean? And so yeah. and it wasn't that he was saying that, but it was like, hey, we're going to make this even better. And yeah. so, uh, you know, I'm fortunate I get to try to help players, you know, do that same type of thing today.
1: Yeah, very cool. Um, curious about shooting slumps or even just playing slumps in general. Uh, do you remember an especially difficult time that you went through as a player, either with shooting or just having a tough time not playing or whatever it was? And then follow-up to that, if you want to build off that, is just how you address slumps or difficult times in the players that you work with.
0: Yes. Yeah, so when it comes to shooting slumps, number one, is it really a slump? Because some kids, oh man, I'm in this shooting slump. And it's like, no, you can't shoot. You've never been a, <laughs> never been a very good shooter. And so Number one, you have to be a shooter to get into shooting slump. I think that's where a lot of kids don't understand. It's like, hey, you've shot thirty-one percent from three this whole year. You're not in a slump. You're just not a very good shooter, which we'll address after the season and get a lot more confident reps and work on some things to help you mechanically change your shot a little bit to help you be more consistent. But that's number one. Number two, the shooters that are really good, and you you know, again, you're shooting forty, you're shooting thirty-eight percent or more from three consistently against good competition with a lot of attempts, not just, you know, oh yeah, man, I'm three for four this year, coach. Yeah, I know. We've played 14 games. That's not gonna that's not gonna cut it. And so um when it comes to good shooters, they are in a slump because they are overthinking it or they are overcorrecting their shot. Mm. And sometimes that's a back and forth. You know, if you're overthinking you start overcorrecting. If you're overcorrecting you start overthinking. And so I always talk to players about what when do you feel your best? like what makes you feel the most confident? Like luckily, like oh man coach three games ago, I was making a what were you doing to be really confident? Well, I was shooting every day where I was you know doing this most of the time, when it comes to my it, it's more just let's get back in the gym, man, let's just get let's get our confidence back. Let's just get in the gym, make a lot of shots. because I think when kids see the ball go in a lot, and you're, and you're being this positive reinforcement. And, you know, I think kids just start to believe in themselves and they get, you know, that back. Sometimes it's the overthinking part. It's just mental. It's something that's off the floor. It's not even about the basketball part. It's something that's going on at home. And so, um, you know, Drew has a great story that he's told many times about Bradley Beal about, man, you gotta, I'm flying you in, man. Like, I don't know what's going on. I'm in this slump. I, I hadn't made a shot in four games. You know, come on in. And then Drew gets out there, and he's like, oh, yeah, man, look. This is Look at this. Like, that you're doing this. And he's like, I was just making stuff up. I was completely telling him, oh, yeah, man, you're not, you're, you're offhand thumb. Look at this. And I was showing him on video, and I was just making stuff up. And he's like, oh, yeah, I see that, bro. I see that. And then they start shooting. And the next game he goes and has 40. And I think I think Brad's family member reaches out to Drew and says, Dude, you're like a I mean, you're like a guru. You're like a wizard, bro. <laughs> and he's like, Hey man, look, I did nothing. I did absolutely nothing. It was just the fact that Brad is overthinking. All we did, I just told him, made him get his confidence back. And then he goes back into the gym. it's really nothing Drew did. Drew's like, I didn't do anything. I mean, I just went out there and was like, Oh yeah, I just making stuff up. And so that's kind of fun too. And again, that's where it comes into the overthinking aspect. Uh, whether it's just whether it's off off the floor problems or it's not, I think sometimes you know players players get into the overthinking aspect, and then they start you know miss a few shots. And I always like to get players back in the gym and just say, Hey, look, man, if, if there's problems off the floor, let's talk about them. You know, how can we help remedy those things? Sometimes there is no answer. Sometimes it's just being able to listen and go grab a bite to eat and hang out and just you know. And then all of a sudden they, they start to, to get more comfortable and get that confidence. And sometimes it's like, hey man, you're not you haven't been shooting as much. You've been just relying on the team practice. Whereas before you were making 150 shots a day, you're making 200 shots a day, and now you haven't done that in weeks. And so sometimes it's just you know getting that flow back and getting to that routine. I mean, all great players, especially shooters, are going to have that routine where they're making extra shots before, after, you know, coming back at night, whatever it is. I mean, that's just that's just a given. So I hope that answers that question.
1: taking a break from the conversation to thank you for listening to the podcast, to encourage you to reach out to me if you'd like to say hi, or offer feedback or a suggestion. If you have any potential guests that you think would be cool to interview, please reach out to me and say hello and check in my book harder than I thought easier than I feared with a subtitle sports anxiety and the power of meditation is available. You can find a link in the show notes to this episode or visit billyhanson.net forward slash book to pick up a copy. The book is the perfect resource for struggling athletes. Any athlete who loves their sport, but is going through a difficult time dealing with anxiety issues or confidence or confidence issues, or not getting along with their coach, thinking about transferring. I think this book could be a great resource for an athlete who wants to connect with another athlete's experience, with my experience, and learn that they're not the only ones going through those things. And also, the book will hopefully provide a new perspective about playing sports and how sports relate to life in general. So if you're interested or if you know an athlete who's interested or a coach or a parent, you should consider picking up a copy. Other ways to support me in the show is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or to share the episode with someone who you think might like it and to stay in contact with my work. The best way is to subscribe to my newsletter, which you can find at billyhansen.net forward slash newsletter. Thank you for listening. And now back to the conversation with coach John Beck. Is there anything else specific that you might do other than what you said, which is extra reps or having a, having a bite to eat off the court or, um, something in that space to help a player stop overthinking it's you know that's a something that i'm interested in is like it's one thing to, to say okay i'm going to stop overthinking things but it's another problem to actually stop overthinking things so is there any you know tips or things practices that you've implemented with the players you work with yes. to stop that
0: absolutely so uh, again i met joshua Medcalf several times years ago got to hear him speak he's an author uh, mental training performance coach uh, worked with a lot of different teams pla women's basketball I don't know if you're familiar with Joshua but no. you know one of the things that he talks about getting confidence back is you know being able to see yourself perform so sometimes it may be believe it or not watching your own highlights uh, mm. reading a book where maybe people are going through that same type of thing or maybe it's the opposite of that maybe it's ways to you know, really help you, maybe it's meditation, maybe it's visualization, maybe it's deep breathing, maybe it's, but some of those things, obviously research, research, you know, has shown help athletes. And so visualizing them making shots, you know, they say that sports is 75% mental, but yet, you know, most of the time we just rely on that physical aspect and physical training. And so I think, you know, Kids being able to visualize themselves making shots deep, and not just like, oh yeah, I'm thinking about it on the way on the bus. I'm talking about deep, like meditation where you're visualizing yourself doing well. You know, self affirmations where you're talking about, you know, how do you talk to yourself when you make a mistake? When you do miss a shot, how do you talk to yourself? You know, are you like, oh my god, yet shot, or is it? You know, I always tell players, hey, look, if your teammate were to miss a shot, what would you say to them? And they say, oh, man, I would say, hey, it's okay, it's okay, good look, man, good shot, hey, good shot. And it's like, okay, now, when you miss a shot, what do you say to yourself? And they're like, oh, my God, my mom's going to be, you know, embarrassed after the game talking to me (laughs) in the car. Or, oh, my God, I can't believe I missed another shot. Or, oh, my God, I've missed four in a row. And I always try to tell, why would you talk to somebody else? Why would you not talk to yourself better than you talk? Because you got to live with yourself 24-7. And so I think those things, I think the way you talk to yourself, I think self affirmations, I think visualization, I think meditation, I think seeing yourself perform at a high level, which again, your brain, you know, has myelin and it wraps around those things. And so, you know, I feel like those are things that can help you stop overthinking um, and get back, you know, get back to where you're making shots and feeling feeling really confident. It may be journaling. You know, I, I know some kids like to, to write out their thoughts and write things down. And so, um, but those are things that I think are really powerful and things that I think aren't, you know, taught and coached enough. It's, it's more of like physical, physical, physical practice. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you asked that question because I gave you the physical side of things and maybe the, you know, but, um, or or does that make sense? I can go into, you know, more of those if you need me to, but
1: No, no, that's, that's, that's really great. And I'm happy to hear that you're implementing that some of that stuff. So I know that you and I are just meeting now, but that really is my, where I've been spending time because I, I learned meditation from a sports psychologist in college and got way into it and really helped me a lot. And then since leaving, I've been helping other athletes develop their own meditation practice. And I've been sitting retreats and doing stuff like that. So that's Man, kind of in it's powerful, my, my sweet spot. And I, yeah, I'm really happy to see that it's gaining more attention in the sports world because one of the arguments that I make in my book that's coming out is that for a number of reasons, integrating n- mindfulness, meditation, visualization into athletic culture will not only help players perform better, but also help them enjoy their sport more and set them up to transition out of sports more productively. So, um, so yeah, I'm really happy to, to hear that you are into that space as well. Now, is that something that you encourage players to do? Is it something that you integrate into your sessions with them? If they're struggling I'm curious, how you try to who, communicate yes. that to the players you're working with
0: yes that's what that's again where the old you know everybody says oh relationship building but relationship building is man do you know what that player needs do you know them inside now do you know what it is that's lacking that's that's not letting them be the best version of themselves and not perform at their highest level and so yes i've done all the things i just mentioned i actually have a college player right now at the university of arkansas who i've had to send a lot of resources to and Uh, what we just touched on were, were those things because again, every player is different and players may not like to read, you know, but players may like to write, may like to write out their thoughts and journal. Some Mm -hmm. players may not like to meditate, but some may like to, you know, visual, visual, uh, visualize and watch their own, you know, highlights. I mean, and and again, it goes back to knowing that person, knowing what's going to make them, you know, the best version of themselves. My injured athletes, especially, I send immediately when I have a girl, like I've had a few ACL tears in the last couple of years, and this is stuff that immediately, because I know, I don't personally know, but I know how hard it's going to be, you know, for them and and the mental side of how tough it is. It's the worst thing an athlete I think can go through is, you know, and I got an ACL patient right now, a girl that's uh, a senior, you know, missing her senior year. And so, and they've and already signed a scholarship to play in college, which is, you know, giving her a lot of confidence because even after the ACL tear, she got a full scholarship to play, but it's those type of things, those resources when, especially when players get injured, it's such a mental side. Now, I'm not saying it's not, it, it's, it's probably even more important when they're playing, but, you know, I know that it's a, it's a different, it's a different type of, uh, it's not different as far as the training goes, but it's different. You know, I've had players that have told me that, like, hey, when I'm injured, it's a, it's almost like a different mindset of uh, the way you're thinking about things as opposed to, you know, when I'm actually playing and competing, you know, consistently, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, that's really great. And I know we're going over here a little bit. I just got a couple more questions. I really appreciate the, you taking the time. Oh, you're And, close. and um, so on the point for, you know, you just brought up injuries, One one of the things I wanted to ask you is, I've read some things about how there's an uptick in player injuries and it's they're trying to link it, or they might be linking it to increased AU games increased load or whatever you want to call it on, you know, adolescent athletes. And I haven't looked t- too deeply into that to see if, you know, where the state of the research is and how true that is, or if we're just noticing more injuries for other reasons. So I'm not quite sure what is going on there. But I wondered if you had an opinion on that about player injuries and what your philosophy is on rest and recovery. And if you ever work with athletes who you actually have to try to tell to pull the brakes on, which if they're even, you know, going too hard or in the gym too much, and they either need mental or physical breaks from pushing all the time. Does that make sense? Yes. Oh, yes. So you know, over
0: overtraining is a real thing. It's it, on the mental side, on the physical side. If you're always going at this same you know type type speed, um, and I think it's a lot. It's a combination of a lot of things. I think the increase in injuries are, you know, early specialization. So you're doing the same thing over and over again and again. I'm not a doctor. These are just my opinions. Mm. I don't I don't take them for anything more than that. But just doing a lot of reading, which I do, you know, I feel like the research is starting to show that. You know a lot of these things are kids you know they're, you're not playing outside these days you're not climbing trees you're not jumping and landing off, off things it's just a different world it's 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 a world now where everything's made and i and i understand the reasoning you know i think it's a, a more of an unsafe world obviously than you know when i grew up but mm-hmm. when i grew up it was every memory i have was outside it was riding a bike it was playing it was jumping it was landing it was climbing trees it was Swinging off ropes and, and branches and and it's different world these days. You know, kids are not outside; they're on their phone. They have a personal computer in their hand, and so I think it it kind of starts there. I think when the sports side of things with the youth sports, there's so much early specialization. You got kids with full time trainers, year round. You know, they're, they're playing travel and AAU, and they're doing this, and it's the same thing over and over and over again. And I, and research has shown that when you're not having variety and training when you're not having variety in the different, you know, body movements that you do, it's the same exact movements. Um, I've been to some high school practice in the area. It's almost the same practice every day. I think that starts to wear and tear on the body a little bit. I think there's not as much, you know, variety if you're, especially if you're training at the same intensity, pretty much every day, the same type of practice. You know, I think that starts to, to go into it too, um, not enough you know, of the right type of recovery and recuperation, obviously, you know, I think matters as well, but, um, you know, I think it starts there. And then I think that a lot of kids don't have a great, there's nothing that we can do to prevent injuries, but we can lessen the occurrence. We can lessen the severity with the proper training, you know, bilateral, unilateral training of the lower body. We can do things with our core. We can do things with, we can increase endurance. We can increase flexibility. We can increase and some of these kids that they don't have that, whether it's, they don't have it in their junior high program or their high school program, or they're not doing it, you know, in a training type setting, they're just, you know, doing a skills, maybe a skills training. And it's like, are you doing the foundation of your game as your athletic performance is, you know, how good of an athlete are you? Are you able to move through space? Are you flexible? Are you because again, the most important part of those strength and conditioning programs is injury prevention, is injury, you know, lessen the occurrence, lessen the severity. And so, um, you know, I would think kids have to do that instead of going and playing, you know, 62 AAU games over the off season. And then it's like, okay, you're practicing maybe once or twice a week. Are you, are you taking time to work on your athletic foundation? Most of the time, the answer is no. And so, um. I think high schools, obviously a lot more high schools have strength and conditioning programs now than they used to have. But I think that, again, kids aren't going through those type of movements on their own with the play and being outside and, and doing those type of things because you know the sedentary lifestyle of a personal computer in your
1: hand at all times, if that makes mm. sense. And again, that's just my opinion. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And um, yeah, I based on my experience, just from you know, I grew up kind of as the internet was taking off, and then got a smartphone my first year of college. I can't really imagine having one in sixth or seventh grade. It'd be a very different childhood for sure. Um, last question for you: You mentioned in passing your mental health routine. You said you work a lot, often seven days a week, and but you have a morning routine. What what does that look like?
0: So my morning routine. I can, and I've, I've always tweak it and change it, but in 2022, I've done it every single day since I've, since, since the new year started. I got back uh, last Saturday night and just kind of have went from there. I wake up uh, anytime between 6.30 and 7.30. Usually I just kind of naturally, I don't set an alarm clock or anything, but I just kind of wake up naturally around that time. And I will, again, this is my new you know routine that I'm doing now, but I will immediately go take a little protein shake just to kind of get me going, um, use the bathroom, start up my truck, get it warm. I go to Panera Coffee. I get me a large coffee. I go straight to Planet Fitness, and I put the treadmill on at about three and a half, four miles per hour at a seven incline. I walk for 35 minutes. I kind of answer emails. I check social media. do those things. I don't like to do it right when I wake up. I like to just kinda of get going and get, you know, maybe an hour, an hour and a half into my routine and then maybe check my uh hadn't always been that way. A couple of years ago I, I kinda of changed that, but I used to, you know, get on my phone first thing and start getting and the next thing you know, it's been thirty five minutes and you hadn't moved. And so I've yeah. changed that, that routine. But um, you know, and I listen to music or I listen to an iPod I listen to, you know, a podcast, uh, maybe in training or maybe in meditation motivation. Uh, and I do a mobility routine every morning, 10 to 15 minutes, uh, usually just go on, go to YouTube and I, I got a couple guys I follow and I go through a, a mobility just to kind of keep my flexibility. That's my meditation time. I got some music going, you know, with that. And, um, that kind of starts my day and then I, you know, I get home and I eat and take a shower and, and kind of, but that, that kind of starts, you know, my day as far as, uh, you know, my routine goes, if that makes sense.
1: Make nice. sure I drink
0: a lot of water in there as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
0: But but the things I talked about, I'm not a guy that's just like, you know, tell you what to do. I, I, I practice all those things. You know, I read daily. I, I, I journal. I meditate. I try to get my own, you know, type of lift or physical workout besides just the walking. I usually am I, so far, I think of the how many days we in now, six or seven days. I walk in the evening as well. I do another, you know, evening walk for 30, 35 minutes um, on the treadmill just because it's been so cold here. But, uh, you know, and, and when the weather's nice, I do that outside, I just go for my morning walk, get some natural sunshine. And, uh, but that's my routine. Doesn't mean, you know, I, you got to find out what works for, for you individually. But that's been, you know, something that's, that I really like to do. And I like to lift, you know, a couple of days a week. I think we're, like you said, we're athletes. So it, it just feels good to, still do athletic things, still like to lift and and jog and walk and, and do those things. And obviously, you know, with my profession, I have to be flexible. I mean, I, I may have to guard a kid for an hour straight, and so I, I, I have to stay in shape. I think it helps. doesn't mean that I'm always going to be in shape. I think one day I'm going to have to just rely on film and maybe <laughs> let them kind of demonstrate <laughs> stuff. But, but right now I'm still, you know, athletic enough to be able to demonstrate stuff full speed and do the footwork full speed. So that helps me in my job as well. I think, you know, kids are going to learn from either hearing it from, you know, me seeing it or from them actually being able to do it and feel it. And so I think them seeing it when you have so many visual learners, you know, that helps them. And so that's one of the big things, you know, we talked, we go back to what we first talked about is knowing how a kid learns as well, because if you don't know how they learn, you know, it's going to be tough. If you're always showing them and they're like not visual learners, you know, then we're gonna to have to change and pivot. So that's one of the big questions I ask too is when we first start working with athletes. It's like, hey, how do you how do you learn? Do you like to hear me say it? Do you like to actually physically do it? Do you like to, you know, watch me do it? You just kind of mimic what I do. Joel Embiid stands out when it comes to that. I mean, literally he would watch Drew do something and as big as he is, you know, seven foot plus and 290 pound, you know, 80 pounds, and then be able just to do it after watching it. He's such a visual learner. You know, again, that was one of the things I wrote down in my notes is like guys, they learn so differently, you know, whereas other guys want to be talked through it, walk through it and show me and tell me and explain. And and then once you can do that and they can do it a few times, then they start to get it. So everybody learns differently. You know, I think studies have shown me besides the three I just mentioned, you know, there's another way of learning, which is reading and writing. That's not used quite as much. But, you know, we had a guy. Back at Lipscomb years, you know, years ago, who was a pretty, pretty dang good coach, and um, you know, he, he made all his players, you know, write stuff, write stuff down, and and uh, notebook and journaling became so important. I think that's where a lot of coaches still, you know, kind of kind of get that. And so Don Meyer um, was a great coach, you know, and um, I think that's you know, you got to find out the way kids learn because it's going to help you, you know, build that relationship and be able to most importantly teach them and help them add to their game
1: well coach beck such a pleasure meeting you thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast it was awesome getting into the weeds on shooting and everything else and um i'm excited to re-listen to this and um think more about everything you had to say so thank you again and i'm wishing you a very happy 2022 yes sir happy new year billy i appreciate you having me so much okay thanks take care bye Thank you for listening to the podcast, my new book harder than I thought easier than I feared with a subtitle sports anxiety and the power of meditation is out and available to order and you can find links to that in the show notes, or by going to Billy forward slash book. The book is the perfect resource for a struggling but committed athlete who needs a new perspective on their sport and how it relates to their life in general. And so If you are interested, or if you know an athlete who might be interested, or a coach or a parent, you should pick up a copy in print, ebook, or audiobook format. Other ways to support me is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you should consider subscribing to my newsletter, billyhansonnet forward slash newsletter, to get updates on anything I'm up to there. Thank you again for listening. I really appreciate it, and I will see you here for the next episode.